Good morning and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. The goal of our show is to uncover, eradicate, and to dismantle racism. I'm so excited that you are here with me today. I really appreciate those of you who tune in to the show. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. If you've been listening uh, for, for since the beginning, I'm so appreciative of you or anytime you take a moment to listen to this show. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you are doing out in the world to dismantle racism. I want to invite you, if you've not done so already, to please subscribe to the show, to share the show with a friend, tell them all about it. Listen to us on Talk Radio NYC. You can listen to us on any of the um, your streaming platforms and subscribe on those platforms as well. I want to also just remind you, if you've not done so, to pick up a copy of my book, Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation from the Inside Out, because the work starts with us. So I want to encourage you to please do all that you can to support yourself and to undergird yourself as you are doing this work because it is demanding work and it takes a lot out of us and we need all the support we can get. And so my book is one way of showing you how to do that and one way of showing you how to examine yourself in order to do this work. I want to begin the show, as I always do, by inviting you, if you would, to please take a moment just to center yourself and to close your eyes. And I'm going to give you one second to do that before we begin our meditation. Now, as you're centering yourself, I want to invite you to begin to breathe in and out, just connecting with your breath, taking a really deep breath in and holding it, and then releasing it very slowly. Again, taking another deep breath in, holding it and releasing it slowly. And now just begin to breathe with your normal rhythm and recognize that your breath is a sign of the divine wisdom that lives inside of you. It is a sign of your sacred intelligence, which is that part of you that prompts you to make intelligent choices that will manifest your greatness while manifesting the greatness of others. So be in tune with your sacred intelligence, that guide that shows up and tells you what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. Your breath is a reminder to center yourself and to stay in that sacred place during difficult conversations, difficult decisions, when the emotions are high. Your breath reminds you to try to stay rational and to scan the environment, to consider your options. Your breath reminds you that if you are going to manifest your greatness, you will refrain from taking anything personally and will just be mindful of the moment. Mindful of how you are to show up in that particular situation. If you are having a difficult conversation, you do not take it personally what the other person is saying because you are grounded. You are centered. You are mindful because your breath is your power, your divine wisdom, your sacred intelligence. 
your ability to stay in control, your ability to make good decisions. So just breathe in and out, connecting with all of your power, giving gratitude for your power, your divine wisdom, your sacred intelligence. Take another moment to breathe in and out, recognizing that the power of one is the power of the community. And you have the ability to change the status quo. So take one more deep breath in and blow it out slowly. And we say, and so it is, Ashe and Amen. And I want to invite you If you've not already done so, you can get a copy of my meditations on any platform that you stream. Those meditations are connected with my book, Sacred Intelligence, not my Sacred Intelligence book, but my book on dismantling racism. But the meditations themselves are really good for grounding you for other things as well. So just go on and take a listen and you might find something that you quite enjoy. There's music that's added to the meditations and they're much longer than what I do here. So I want to invite you to go to your favorite platform and pick those up. Today on our show, we are going to be talking about diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Now, for those of you who are watching the show, you will see that I have on my Howard University alumni shirt, and I wear it not because we are the number one HBCU. I wear it because historically, uh, black uh, historically people of color, black people in particular, were not allowed to be admitted to certain institutions. And so HBCUs were formed, historically Black colleges and universities. They were formed in the 19th century in order to provide opportunities for us to be able to attend private and public institutions. When we were allowed to attend private and public institutions, we were often not admitted to those places for a number of reasons, but mainly because of racism. There would be an excuse for why we were not admitted, not because we were not smart enough, because if you look at the people who've come out of HBCUs uh, historically and presently, we are doing some dynamic things. And much of the world's contributions are because of people who've gone to HBCUs, just like they are any other universities. And so there's there's a reason why you've heard me talk about HBCUs, because one, it is a place where we put out stellar individuals, highly um, competent individuals, And one of the things that I want to say about an HBCU is this, because it really, and Dr. Hill and I, who's my guest, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit, but one of the things that really concerns me often is how much we tout the predominantly white institutions where we consider the top 10 ones, and we don't take a look at the HBCUs, when in fact, it's almost harder to get into those colleges and universities than the others on some level, but I don't want to go there just yet. I want to talk about how it has been detrimental for us to get into some of those other institutions because of racism, not because of ability, but because of racism. So when we talk about the institution of affirmative action, which came about in 1965 in general for the workplace, and then a little bit later for Uh, colleges and universities, we're talking about a policy that was put into place so that individuals who are underrepresented, maybe that's based on color, maybe it's based on class, maybe it's based on gender or disability or ability, 
And so affirmative action was put into place so that we could level the playing field at those institutions and in the workforce so that we may have an equal opportunity to be admitted to those places. So affirmative action doesn't admit unqualified students to colleges and universities. It ensures that qualified students will be admitted. And that's the difference. And often when there's this conversation around affirmative action, people say they allowed those students to enter in. I've had people to look me in my face, white people, let's be clear, and say to me, well, I don't understand why my daughter didn't get accepted to X, Y, and Z universities, university, and they let all those Black kids in. And I'm often saying this, to this person, I'm thinking, do you know that I'm Black? What are you actually saying here that we don't deserve to be in those places? We deserve to be in those places, but we don't have equal access to those places. That's what affirmative action is about. We're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about what does it mean when we say diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging? What exactly is that all about? And I'm sure we'll be talking about historically Black colleges and universities as well in the process, why there's still a need for such universities. I'm delighted to welcome when we come back from the break, my guest, Dr. Calvin Hill. Dr. Calvin Hill is the the vice president uh, of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, there's another title for it that I'm not saying uh, exactly right, but he is the vice president of inclusion and community but I I believe at at Springfield College. You'll correct me, uh, Dr. Hill, when you come on. But here's what I want to say. One of the things that I am most proud of being associated with this brother is that he has a PhD from Howard University, my alma mater. So I really am just delighted to welcome him because he is a fellow bison, but he has an extensive resume for all of the academic work that he has done. Uh, Again, he is at Springfield College right now. He has been there since 2015 is when he joined that um, organization. And I'm so, so delighted to welcome after the break, the Vice President for Inclusion and Community Engagement, Dr. Calvin Hill, This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We will be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
We're back with the Dismantle Racism Show. Dr. Hill, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad you're with me this morning. Thank you, Dr. TLC. Always good to be on with a fellow bison. I know. Isn't it great? <laughs> mm-hmm. Listen, you know, I can't say enough about going to an HBCU. It is such a wonderful, wonderful uh, experience. And a lot of times folks don't understand what that experience is all about. They don't understand why we, in fact, need to have our own uh, schools and institutions. And had it not been for racism, perhaps we we would not have known how great it is to go to an HBCU. And so anytime I get to tout one, I certainly want to do that. And, you know, again, as you heard me say in this segment, I am, I am, or maybe I didn't actually say this, but was thinking it, you know, this is the season about a month ago where all the students were talking about all of the schools that they got into. And often we would see students saying, I got into all of the top Ivies. But rarely do you see students saying, I got into all of the top, you know, HBCUs. And one of the reasons that we don't do that is because we tend to think of those schools as being better. But as I was saying in my introduction, it's actually a bit more competitive to get into the HBCUs. I know my daughter who goes to Spelman College was one of 600 and something students who got in out of 9,000 applicants. That's a pretty tight and rigid uh, uh, competition there. And so there's much value in going to uh, HBCUs and in going to college, period. And not everyone has access to it. So you are the vice president of inclusion and community engagement. You, your work is around diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging. Talk to us a bit about what exactly does that mean from a college perspective? How do we engage in that work and what does it mean to students? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that I do in my work is I talk about the concept of value added. You know, and for me, one of the things that we know is that uh, the demographics in this country are changing. Uh, Our students are going to be interacting with people that look different from themselves, have different partners than themselves and worship differently. So what better place than a college university campus to make sure that our students are engaged in complex and difficult dialogues, uh, engaged in curriculum that's designed to help them to understand the other, so that when they go into the world of work, they've got the opportunity there to not make the mistakes that, you know, perhaps they've made, you know, at the K-12 level or perhaps early on in their uh, college environments, uh, but they're going to be better prepared to engage with people. You know, so from the standpoint of where I am, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and belonging, really is about providing people with an opportunity to engage with people that are different from themselves so that we can make sure that as our students graduate, uh, especially when we think about the mission of Springfield College in terms of leadership and service to others, they're really going to be able to serve others in a more precise and specific way, you know, and and that's what we focus on. And that's what I think we would be better served to think about uh, as we look at this whole process around the nation. So you just said something really important and you said service. Because your college focuses on service, but there are lots of colleges. Their thing is about corporation and making the most money. And we know that at many colleges, we are even looking at not just racially, but we're looking at an economic spread. And so what would you say to those colleges where many of those people get out and they are the in the corporate and they are the top people and many of them? Are, can, are predominantly white in those institutions, what would you say to them about their need to become more comfortable with working with a diverse group of people? Because for some of them, I know when I taught at a local college here, Connecticut College, private institution, many of those students had never seen a, a person of color and a Black person in particular before they came to college. So what about, what would you say to those people whose world is primarily white folks. Yeah, and yeah, I would say that the value, again, I spoke about the demographic shifts that are happening in our country. Uh, and I think from the Fortune 500 companies all the way down to, you know, small mom and pop shops, they've got to understand that their consumers are going to look different. 
you know, and what better place than a college environment to make sure that we're preparing, you know, those people that are going to run these Fortune 500 companies, that are going to be management in these Fortune 500 companies, where they're own some of these mom and pop shops to be able to welcome diverse backgrounds in, you know, mm-hmm. because we want to make sure that they're able to purchase supplies. You know, mm-hmm. I work in an institution in central Massachusetts, and we would always talk about uh, the value of, of diversity around thought, you know. Mm-hmm know that someplace like the General Motors or Ford can build a great vehicle. But when they bring different perspectives to the table, you know, they're going to be able to provide a vehicle that's going to accommodate a soccer mom, a soccer dad. So they're going to bring different thought processes to the table. So Um, when having conversations here, you know, at the college environment, it's going to better serve our individuals that are going out uh, into these Fortune 500 companies, into these mom and pop stores, uh, to better serve the individuals that are coming in and, and utilizing um, So the bottom line is, is is valuable even from an economic place Absolutely. for the company to be a bit more diverse so that they can hear uh, new ideas. I, I've given this example, I know, on the show before, but uh, I believe it was Ralph Lauren, you know, mm-hmm. when during the whole uprising of uh, you know, with George Floyd and the conversation that was happening, one of his black execs started talking about fashion and he started listening to what that black exec said. And guess what? There's a whole line, particularly for Morehouse and Spellman. There's a whole line that Ralph Lauren did because of that. Now that benefited Ralph Lauren, but it also made individuals who are black feel noticed and seen so that when you're going to spend your money, you're like, oh, this is a company that really cares. And and I got the sense that he said, I want to listen to you and I want to hear you. It wasn't performative, which is something else that I've found that's happened, that a lot of things are performative. But And I can go there as well. But I want to ask you in particular, what are some of the things that you are doing at your school to make students and faculty as well, because I'm sure you're looking at the whole community. What are you doing to make them feel like they belong and are included? Well, I think you talked about, you know, those things that we're, we should be thinking about, you know, and, uh, and belonging to me is really about a space where you feel welcome, you know, and one of the things that we understand is that, you know, we've got some 4,500 college universities uh, and if a student doesn't feel like they belong, they're going to go somewhere else. So mm. we create a climate on campus where our students definitely feel like they belong. And some of some of that climate is a curriculum. We want to make sure that we've got a curriculum that mirrors their experience, where they're hearing about and they're learning about people that mirror their background. Uh, you talk about being a faculty member at a PWI, predominantly white institution. You know, we want to make sure that we've got faculty members that mirror the demographics of the changing student population that's going to be coming to us. Because we understand that if you're at a PWI, you're a, a majority student and you've never had a faculty of color, you're going to leave without perhaps the diversity of thought that that person can bring to the table. On the other hand, if you're a student of color at a PWI, you're going to benefit because you're going to have that sense of belonging and connection to mm. that faculty member based on what they're bringing to the table, as well as the perhaps the content that they're bringing into the classroom. And above and beyond the curriculum, we've got to make sure that our climate is conducive. You know, mm-hmm. so the way we make sure that our climate is conducive is by recognizing. You know, you talked about, are we listening to people? Are we are we hearing from people? But the other part is we've got to see people. You know, so uh, here on campus, you know, we are making sure that our LGBT plus students feel, you know, as if their voices are heard, they're seen across campus. Our BIPOC students, our students that are international, as well as our students uh, from various faith traditions. We've mm-hmm. got to that they are represented, we've got to make sure that they are seen, we've got to make sure that their voices are heard. And if we can do that, and I think a college can do that, that's where that value comes from. Our mm-hmm. students are going to be much better prepared to engage with one another, and they're going to be much better prepared to go out into the world after their four years or their six years uh, at a college university environment to make a difference. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so two follow-up questions then. What is the demographics? you know, demographic of your school. And um, tell me a little bit about how faculty and staff are trained in ways to, uh, you know, uh, enhance 
diversity, equity, and inclusion. Absolutely. Uh, well, we are about 20% BIPOC. You know, BIPOC is Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Uh, so about 20% of our, our students are individuals that come in from those um, underrepresented backgrounds. Uh, our faculty population is a little less. We're probably somewhere around 11%, you know, of our faculty. Uh, so knowing that, you know, we have to, as you alluded to, uh, make sure that our faculty and staff are prepared to welcome this change demographic. You know, so part of that is uh, we do a lot of, 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 I hate the term training, uh, but we do a lot of programs uh, and educational opportunities on campus. As a matter of fact, you had an opportunity to come to campus uh, and speak to members of our faculty and staff, you know, because we want to have conversations on what are microaggressions. We understand that, you know, when our students are, are being victimized by microaggressions, it's going to make them feel like they don't belong. You know, mm-hmm. students are misgendered in the classroom. It's going to make them feel like they do not belong and we're not using the correct pronouns. You know, all of those things are things that we need to do, you know, so we've got to educate our faculty and staff to be able to engage with this change of demographic, you know, so part of that is an online module that we do uh, immediately upon hire, uh, and then the individuals get a chance to, you know, update that every three to four years. Uh, We then have opportunities over the course of the year to have, you know, what I call, you know, again, uh, these uh, workshops that take place that are voluntary. Uh, where people come to the different programs that we offer on microaggressions, on workplace bias, uh, again, pronoun usage, uh, so that we can make sure that our faculty and staff are engaging with the, the concepts, the terminology, and so forth, that students today are quite frankly prepared and accustomed to having conversations on. And again, because there are so many college universities in the country, we want to make sure that we are the space where a student chooses to be based on the fact that they feel like they belong. Uh, and part of belonging is making sure that we're engaging students the way that they would choose to be engaged. You know what I love? You, you said, you've said it twice. You've made a note that, that basically students can choose to go anywhere, but you want to make it a place where they feel um, welcomes and, and that this is the place that they're going to choose. And often when schools get into like this ego space of, well, every student wants to come here. Sometimes the attention is not paid to those students, you know, that, that is necessary. And so I love that you keep saying they, they choose to come here. Basically, it's a privilege that they're coming to our school. And when you have that kind of attitude, you're going to reach out a little bit more to them. There's lots more I want to discuss with you. And when we come back, Dr. Hill, um, as you were talking, I thought about the work you personally are engaging in. And so in Dismantling Racism, I always talk about healing separation from the inside out. When we come back, I want to hear a little bit about how you yourself, how you've grown in who you are as a person, as you've led the charge to be more inclusive on so many different levels, because I find that just because we're doing this work, we don't know it all. And we're challenged all the time to keep growing and growing. So when we come back, I want to hear a little bit more about that from you. We'll be right back with Dr. Calvin Hill, who is the Vice President of Inclusion and Community Engagement at Springfield College. We'll be right back. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. 
Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with the Dismantle Racism Show. I've been talking with Dr. Hill. And before the break, Dr. Hill, you know, as you were describing the really the programming that you all do, not the training, I love that, the programming that you do, the 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 decision for each individual to choose to come to some of the, the offerings that you have. Tell me a little bit about just what's what's been some of your personal growth as an individual who's charged with leading a community on inclusion and equity and belonging. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would say that for those of us of a certain age, uh, we grew up not necessarily thinking about diversity as broadly as we do today. Uh, So I would say for me, it was a process of growth. And I think my educational institutions definitely help with that. Uh, When I was at Emporia State University, you know, my definition of diversity changed from what I had as an undergraduate to one that uh, expanded based on the fact that I was working in a trio program where we talked about not just simply race, but we also talked about disability and we also talked about, you know, class, you know, so that helped me. Uh, going to Howard University, you know, Howard University as a historically black college, uh, the fact that you're at an HBCU, but the fact that those students of color at that HBCU come from such a broad demographic you know, from urban to rural, suburban, from various countries, uh, you know, was very helpful as well. Uh, and then I think above and beyond that, you know, we've got to educate ourselves. You know, we've definitely got to read and definitely got to engage uh, and learn about the fact that, you know, uh, there are various faith traditions that are around us. Uh, you know, there was also the opportunity to engage uh, with our lived experiences. You know, my brother came out uh, at about 17 and 18 years of age. Uh, so having to learn about the LGBTQ community, uh, because I want to make sure that my brother has a space in the world where he feels as he belongs. So I think in addition to obviously what we can do from an educational standpoint, you know, there's also what we choose to do because we want to support those that we love, you know, from a disability perspective, my niece, you know, as an individual that I love dearly, uh, just celebrated a birthday yesterday, but wanting to make sure that she is uh, engaged, my brother is engaged. Uh, as well as a host of others. So I would say that my growth process was really not just simply about education, but it was also looking from within and making sure that I was contributing to a world where other people were going to feel as if they were validated. And I would concur as a person who's out there talking about racism all the time. I am I am always learning and always really examining myself when I'm making a choice. Now, wait a minute, I'm making this choice How am I perpetuating racism? Because sometimes we do it, you know, unintentionally. And then how am I speaking out against it? But what I'm also finding is it absolutely makes me more in tune with other individuals who are marginalized. And one of the ways in which I learn, and I'm sure you have this experience, I learn through my children and other young people. And so often there's a conversation that we have, particularly around uh, gender and sexuality. And as a person of a certain age, like you say, you know, just the transition from using certain language. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful to be around younger people who who are many who are native to the language and people who are saying, unlike we might have done in our lifetime, or you know, back when we were younger, they don't have any bones about saying mom or Dr. Curry Avery or whatever, because I have an open experience, an open heart where I want you to correct me if I'm saying something wrong. So what I'm trying to say for, for our listeners here is when you engage in the work of dismantling racism, 
it actually broadens your perspective for other groups as well, because you're able to look through different lens and you're able to say, well, if this is happening to me because of race, what might it be like for the other person? But I think the other thing that it does as well for me is it opens my eyes even when I think about just from the black and brown perspective, or I think about for people who don't speak the language, what it's like. I I recently had an opportunity to visit my daughter in Japan, and I was thinking about the fact that I don't speak Japanese. Thankfully, she speaks uh, well enough to get us through where we had to go. But I thought about here I am trying to navigate uh, an entire system. What must it be like for those people who come here and live and struggle, and yet they are not treated with humanity oftentimes? So I find that this work has broadened my my perspective tremendously. I'd love for you to talk a little bit around Uh, you know, this affirmative action, which was instituted to give us a leg up with trying, in in ways I say a leg up, actually is not even a leg up. It's about letting us in. That's really what it's about. Because what people tend not to understand is that when we are admitted to a school, sometimes our standards of being admitted are a little bit higher because the folks who are legacy their GPA in many spaces doesn't even have to be as high as a person who is coming from a marginalized group. And that's something people don't know and understand. But talk to me a little bit about uh, what has been the conversation at Springfield College since the Supreme Court, you know, made this decision to not use race as uh, a form of ed- I'm not articulating it very well in this moment, but to not use race as a standard for admissions. That's what I want to say. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things that we know is that, you know, we're going to see, you know, those those what I want to say, those top tier institutions really struggle much more so uh, with that. And I think you alluded to the fact that many HBCUs have, you know, you know, somewhere between maybe a 20 to 30 percent admissions rate. You know, here at Springfield College, our admissions rate is probably closer to about 80 or so percent. You know, so I don't necessarily believe that we're going to be as negatively impacted, you know, as perhaps uh, the University of North Carolina and the Harvards that were identified in the suit. But one of the things that we do know is that uh, we've got to continue to stay diligent, you know, in terms of of that sense of belonging, you know, and that's where we focused our time and attention. Uh, My thinking, my hope is that as we see institutions, you know, uh, in Florida, perhaps in Texas and some of these other more conservative states, uh, really take a deeper, harsher perspective on affirmative action and DEI initiatives. Uh, Here in some of the more northeast regions, uh, we're going to see more diversity coming towards us because students are, again, going to be choosing to go to institutions of higher education uh, where they feel like they belong. So that means that we've got to make sure that we're doing those things that we spoke about earlier in terms of, of having a diverse workforce that mirrors those students that are coming to us so that when those students are here, they see the, themselves, they hear themselves, and they have that sense of belonging. We've got to make sure that we've got the resources available to them. You know, we've got a very active diversity, equity, and inclusion office here uh, with staff members that are here to uh, dedicate themselves to making sure that individuals feel that sense of belonging. Uh, we've got an admissions office that scours, you know, when we talk about affirmative action, you alluded to it earlier in terms of, you know, we're getting qualified applicants. You know, we're not looking for individuals that are not qualified to attend Springfield College or Harvard or or wherever they may be going. But we've got to do a little bit more in, in terms of looking for those applicants because this may not necessarily be an institution that they would have considered, you know, if it's not backyard. You know, so by doing a little bit more outreach. You know, we're hoping to engage a more diverse, you know, student population that's going to be coming to us. You know, so I think what we've got to do is keep our eye on the prize. You know, my president, Mary Beth Cooper, and I have been talking about keeping our eye on the prize. You know, we're looking at changing demographics. We're looking at, you know, being the institution of the future. You know, when I created our diversity plan, I called it the promise of tomorrow because tomorrow is very different from yesterday. Yes. Um, Conversation I give on campus, I talk about Mayberry. For those of again of a certain age, <laughs> you know, 
And if you remember the Andy Griffith show, you never saw individuals that were perhaps black or brown. You didn't see individuals with disabilities. You didn't hear individuals that spoke a different language. But on any given college campus today, you cannot help but engage with people that are different from yourself. So we are not going back to Mayberry. And I think for our more conservative legislators out there that are thinking about, you know, locking down the United States, we've got to be more open uh, because the reality is, is we are diverse. Uh, and you alluded to it. I mean, students today are demanding for more diversity. They're demanding a curriculum that's going to allow them to be better. And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a generation that is trying to maintain the status quo. Uh, and in essence, they're hurting uh, the populations that are coming behind them. Yeah, you know, you know what's interesting? Well, you said quite a number of things in there, but you said some of those students who perhaps would have gone to those other schools will end up coming to your school. And so one, these institutions are losing out. They're losing out on some really, really great students that they could have had if they don't engage in the outreach and the belonging that is necessary. I know one of the things that's happened since 2020, actually, we've seen an uptick in the students who are applying to HBCUs because before it was all about, let's go to these schools over here. But then something happened that they started, well, we know what happened, but they're like, no, I'm going to, going to apply to the HBCUs. And a lot of them didn't get in, as I said so what we need to be paying attention to, these schools need to be paying attention to, what is the cost to us when our school is not diverse? So we know that economically there's a cost too, because some of these schools get funding based on whether they're allowing certain populations to enter into their school. So we know that there's a lot that's going to happen um, as a result of that. But two, I love the fact that you really are talking about qualified students coming into your school. But I think that qualification also means sometimes we give students an opportunity when perhaps they're qualified, but maybe their circumstances prevented them from, from getting the quality education that they may have needed to have when they were coming through school, but you see something in those students to say, when you come here, I can help you thrive. And when you get here, I'm going to support you. Because one of the things that happens in these PWIs is that they will bring in first-gen students and those first-gen students don't have the support they need to be successful in those schools. And I'm not just talking about academic. There's an emotional support that's needed. There's a social support that's needed, a cultural support, a spiritual support. And it sounds like what you're saying when you talk about belonging at your school, because you've talked about all the different areas, you are including the whole being. So when we uh, come back, we'll continue our conversation um, a little bit on, on this affirmative action and, and to be able to talk about who are the other groups who will suffer as a result of the Supreme Court's decision? So we're talking about race right now, but what will this look like as we continue to roll out? So we'll be right back with Dr. Hill to continue our discussion on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, as well as affirmative action. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify, your business today. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. 
Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with my guest, Dr. Hill. Dr. Hill, you know, it, it's clear from our conversation today that there are people who are going to lose out because of affirmative action and not just people of color. There are schools who are going to lose out. But who are, what are some of the, um, well, who are some of the other groups that will lose out from this decision of yeah. affirmative yeah. One of the things that we know based on research is that low income whites are going to lose out, you know, because those individuals are not going to have access because they haven't had the prerequisites of, you know, advanced placement courses, things those lines, depending upon the schools that they were at. Uh, women are going to lose out. Women have been perhaps the best beneficiaries of affirmative action in the United States. So we understand that's an area. And then I think if we look specifically at the Harvard lawsuit, you know, where we saw that the individuals that were the plaintiffs in that were Asians. Uh, we're going to see that the diaspora within the Asian community is pretty broad, you know, so we typically think of, you know, certain populations, you know, but we don't think about uh, the Southeast Asian population, the Hmong population, the Vietnamese population. So uh, some of those less represented in the higher education spaces are going to be missing out as well. You know, so this isn't just a, a Black and Latinx issue. You know, this is an issue for, you know, um, disadvantaged whites. It's an issue for individuals with disabilities. And it's an issue for women. And again, it's an issue for those, you know, more um, diversified Asian populations as well. Mm. So it, it just makes me think about this one word that's mentioned in, in, in your title, as well as when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging is this word community. And I think that is very uh, important for us to realize that what happens to one person it actually impacts us all. And I think we're living in a time where people are really self-absorbed and short-sighted. And all of these new things that have come down the pike are, are indications of people living in a scarcity mentality. And it's all about me, me, me. You know, my sister said many years ago that this country was rolling back. Mm -hmm. And it was hard to kind of see it because we were just kind of going along with our head and the cloud, like, no, we've made these advances, but we've seen over the last few years how things have just really, really rolled back. And so I want to thank you all for the work that you're doing at Springfield College to really um, engage in helping students to feel like they belong. And what I've heard you talk about is the type of programming. It's the follow up that you're doing with students as well, right? So I, I think it's probably not just that you're offering programs, but it seems like there's a, a caring that happens with your students there. And I don't know if you wanna talk more about what you do to support students, because I'd love to, to hear you talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you know, we've got a very active diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging staff, uh, and that staff follows up with students. You know, we have regular check-ins, uh, we also have a pre-orientation program and a mentor program designed to make sure that, you know, upper class students are designed to, are here to make sure that they're supporting their, their, their underclass, you know, classmates. You know, so it really is about a nurturing, caring campus environment, you know, where uh, we understand the value of you as an individual. Uh, and we want to make sure that, you know, this isn't a place where you come and you simply, we really want this to be a space where you really feel you belong. And as I think we think about, you know, college universities across the country, 
Uh, you talked about the Howards of the world, but, you know, we also want to give a big shout out to numerous other HBCUs. My parents were Wiley graduates uh, in Marshall, Texas, and, and we know that uh, college universities uh, change lives. Uh, so no matter where you go, you know, a college university can truly uh, change lives generationally, you know, and that's something that's critically important for us to think about. I, I so appreciate you saying that because, you know, really within the HBCUs is sort of like a running joke with, with which HBCU is the best. But for me, one, any of them, I, I love I love all HBCUs, but like you say, and I love that because of the belonging and because of the stellar education that we get and because you actually don't have to think about race. There's a lot of other stuff that you have to think about, but we, this country doesn't understand how significant the weight of racism is on us. So the value of going to an HBCU is like, you can just take that out. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have our internalized racism, but that's a whole nother show, but that's the value of it. But I want to just echo what you're saying, whether it's an HBCU or whether it's just a college or university period, what we're doing is is we're opening individuals up to a whole new world. So if a student chooses not to go to an HBCU, just go and get educated any way that you can and look for the school that's going to support you in that. Because not every student is meant for an HBCU. Not every student is meant for PWI. Not every student is meant for a four-year college. Like there, there's a plethora of, um, you know, uh, uh, experiences and qualities that you have to look for when you're applying to a school. So in our last few minutes here, before we wrap up, tell me, why should a student come to Springfield College? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, I think as we think about who we are as an institution, our mission is to educate students in spirit, mind and body for leadership and service to others. Uh, and I'm going to keep talking about that concept of service to others. I think when our students graduate, they're prepared to engage in a world that's different from uh, perhaps the world that they came into. Uh, and I think that's the difference. You know, our students are going to have a class uh, room that is taught by diverse faculty uh, as staff. They're going to have uh, a social an emotional experience that is designed to make sure that they're engaged cross-culturally. Uh, so I think those are some of the key benefits in addition to, you know, obviously everything else that goes into, you know, a college university environment. Uh, but I think college is about getting engaged and getting involved. You know, we can do our best in terms of providing the opportunities, but if a student chooses not to engage, uh, I believe that we're doing this them a disservice. So uh, we've got to do our, anything in our power to make sure that we're doing outreach. So I would say that get involved wherever you go. Uh, I would love to see you at Springfield College, uh, but wherever you are, just make sure that you're engaged and active. Hmm. So you had me at spirit, mind, and body that with your mission statement, because I think that is such a great uh, mission because it isn't just about the academics, but it's, it's how you impact one's spirit. And that could be from a religious place, or it could be just from like, if my spirit feels whole and well, I'm going to be engaged in the community. So I love that. So tell us, how can people get in touch with you if they wanted to meet with you directly or uh, who should they contact at the university? Well, Dr. TLC, I know that we go back and forth with who perhaps has the best nickname. Uh, but I am Dr. Chill. Uh, so it's uh, C. Hill at Springfield.edu. You can reach me at Chill at Springfield.edu. Uh, you can also reach out to us at inclusion at Springfield.edu, and we'd be happy to you know, respond and engage with anyone out there that is looking to be involved, uh, looking to engage with us as a campus community, or simply looking at the institution that they might want to consider for the next four to six years. Mm. Well, Dr. Chill, I, I will say, you know, names are fitting, right? Because when we're doing this work, we have to be in that place that that we have to keep a level head and we have to give a lot of tender, loving care. So that's why the TLC is put forth there. I mean, it's my given name. Uh, I didn't make it up for the purposes of this. And so our names have meaning. I just really want to thank you so much for coming on to talk about 
uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, what it really means, and belonging, let's not leave that out, and belonging, but also to talk about affirmative action and really to talk about what it is that you all do at Springfield College and how you take care of the needs of students. So I want to invite anyone out there to, uh, to who is interested in looking at schools, to look at Springfield College, look at the work that they're doing there and find out whether it's the school for you. Like Dr. Hill said as well, just go to a school that really supports you and your needs. Thank you again, Dr. Hill, for being my guest today. Thank you to my listeners. I'm so excited that you uh, have joined me. Please go to sacredintelligence.com to find out more about the work that I do and how you can pick up any information um, that I have there in terms of books and meditations. And please stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. May today you tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that manifest the good in you and those around you. Know that we are all one and exist because of one another. Make it a priority to share love, hope, compassion, and peace today. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape driving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at a lecture on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.